Welcome to Around the IT Block Podcast, presented by HPE. I'm your host, the IT Oddfather, Calvin Zito. This is podcast number 35, and in this podcast, I've got a couple of amazing guests. Guys, uh, I appreciate you joining me on the podcast. Um, Dave, let's start with you. Why don't you introduce yourself to everybody? Yeah, yeah, you bet, Calvin. Hi, I'm Dave Russell, Vice President of Enterprise Strategy at Veeam. I'm one of those guys that never figured out what he wanted to do when he grew up, so 33 years later, I'm still in backup. <laughs> and Rick, we've known each other. I tell people this all the time. I I knew you probably at least a few years before you went to Veeam, so, and you've been there forever, so we've known each other for a while. Why don't you introduce yourself to everybody? Yeah, cheers. Thanks, Calvin. Uh, Rick Vanover. I'm a senior director of product strategy at Lean. I'm going on my 13th year here. And um, when I grow up, I want to be like Dave Russell, no joke. And then, um, so Calvin, you're right. Uh, you know, we did some of the Blogger Day circuits in like 2008-9 and the like. Uh, I think that was the first time we um, IRL caught up. But yeah, it's been a while. And yeah, been at Veeam for quite a click. Well, the Focus of what we want to talk about here is your new release, Veeam 12. It seems like just a, like a, a minute ago when I was talking to Michael Cade about Veeam 11, but here we are, Veeam 12. Dave, before we get to that, though, I know you guys have had some amazing success over the last few years and you being kind of focused on enterprise. Let's talk a little bit about what Veeam has been accomplishing in the enterprise world. Why don't you give us like the highlights of what you think is important for customers to hear about Veeam and, and, and being an enterprise uh, data protection solution. Yeah, so I've been at Veeam now almost five years. I've been uh, actually following Veeam back when I was an industry analyst, even before they went generally available with their, the first version of the backup product. And the last five years, though, that I've been here in the enterprise space, we've been increasing our penetration. We're going to close out this quarter as we end 2022, probably at about 76,000 enterprise customers globally. That's 76,000 out of about 450,000 Veeam customers in totality. However, that 76,000 represents about 54%, so a little over half of our revenue. And Veeam now we're going on our fourth year of being a billion-dollar software-only enterprise. So we're probably going to end up around... million from the enterprise space. One of the things I like to point out, though, as it relates to to enterprise is we're very unique because we can have the simplicity, ease of install configuration of a mid-market product, and certainly we sell a lot to the mid-market. However, we want to be able to deliver the power, the functionality that people are looking for, especially the HPE kinds of customers, and and do that without having to make trade-offs, right? Do that without having to incur a lot of customization services, you know, babysitting, in other words. No one no one but me actually woke up wanting to be, you know, babysitting their backup platform. If I think back to before you joined, I think a lot of the focus that Veeam had was on mid-market customers. What do you think has changed with Veeam that's turned it into being just as acceptable for an enterprise customer as it is for a mid-market customer? I think it, it's a combination of things, you know, some internal to Veeam and some related to the rest of the industry. The internal to Veeam are, are really, you know, since version 9.5 update 4 in basically 2019 to now, we've been steadily increasing the number of enterprise class features 
every release, we, we scale the product even further. So with one instance of Veeam, for example, the same copy of code that I run on my, my laptop, we actually have a customer in production protecting eight petabytes of data, 20,000 machines. And again, that's one instance of the Veeam backup server running. It's because we've been focusing more and more on that segment, on that space. And as we slowly prove ourselves further into that set, we get more interesting requests, more demands really placed upon us that we have to rise to. And the thing that, that we've really been focusing on in the enterprise is responding to kind of industry concerns of either people are concerned about payments for other kinds of solutions in the market, concerned that they have to have one or multiple people that are highly trained, highly skilled to be able to keep the backup infrastructure up and going, or they're, they're looking for confidence that a vendor that they're selecting for backup is going to be viable and really committed to the space. And at Veeam, this is all we do. Well, Rick Tron, let me pull you into the conversation because I, I don't want you to be silent here. Um, let's jump into what kind of really the focus was going to be, which is Veeam version 12. As you look at this release of Veeam, what is it that you're most excited about? When you look at what is in there, what excites you? And don't give me the marketing message here, Rick. I want to know what you are excited about with Veeam 12. Well, good. You don't have to worry about me giving you the marketing message because I do live in the product. So I would, I have a lot of favorites. Uh, it's really tough to pick one, but the one I'll kind of go into is around immutability, just more immutability options in more places. This has really paved the way, Calvin, for really that value promise of what a backup product is in the market to do with the threats nowadays. It really is just kind of made it right for the market. So, you know, this this immutability strategy goes really across the workloads, you know, across the different technologies. And it even goes into our, our products, right? So I'll take, we're implementing immutability controls on the front side from the Veeam backup job with StoreOne's Catalyst, right? By far, one of the biggest requests I've had is to do that on the appliance there, on the array. And that was something that, you know, was really welcome in the market. And then, you know, but that, that might not be for everybody either. But we also talk and, you know, Federico and your team's done a lot of work on the hardened repository on Linux on Apollo servers, right? High density servers, Linux, immutability there too, with more workloads. You know, so you can just keep going down the line of different immutability options. And by far, that is, I think, the, the best market move of giving more immutable options in more places. And people really need that today. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm saying this is what's new. Make no mistake, there's plenty of immutability options in play now. And when you think about the scale and versatility of the deployments, and I like to say it's from the home lab to the hospital or from the bank to the basement or basement to the bank, everybody is going to welcome immutability. You know, there's no real barrier of entry in that regard. You, know, you don't have to be an enterprise to get that. The, um, in fact, I think even our free edition will do immutability on Linux, for example. You know, why would, why would we block that? those types of things. So I think immutability really speaks to the market, speaks to the real value promise, what backup is supposed to bring in the market today. And then you asked me for my favorite, but I'll give you two. And that also goes down to some of the different application 
and configuration security things, right? Like multi-factor authentication for the console and stuff like that. Really, because immutability is part of it, but that's like a broader resilience strategy and having it show up in other places is kind of the right idea today. Dave, let me turn to you. And um, what do you think are the big themes around V12? If you were going to put them in buckets, and in, I guess, you know, we always tend to put things in buckets of three. What do you think are the, the three big things that customers are going to see when they see the features in Veeam 12? Yeah, if I had to pick three, and I'd say the first that Rick alluded to would be security. You know, unfortunately, the kind of world we live in, when we've done research at Veeam, independent research, not just about Veeam customers, but about the market globally, ransomware threats are on the rise. Uh, the number of times per year that the average data center is getting hit is also on the rise. So security first. A big portion of that is adding on to immutability that we already do have. So that'd be number one. Actually, a callback to what you and I just talked about at the open, which is enterprise scale. You know, And enterprise and focusing on that is like saying performance. You're never done, right? So it's an ongoing activity. Well, we're enterprise today, I would assert, and we're actually only adding to that making sure that day two operations are even easier than ever before. The number three would be really around the cloud. We already do a great deal in the cloud today. We're the most deployed Microsoft 365 backup product as one example. We strongly believe we have market-leading Kubernetes capabilities, as well as infrastructure as a service, platform as a service, and the major hyperscalers. But those would be the three, security, enterprise, and cloud. So let's talk a little bit more about those and talk about what some of the specific features are. I know, um, I think I've heard this several months ago, and I'm, I can't remember if you guys have been public about it or somebody, maybe it was Federico, told me, but I know one of the big things you guys have in that cloud-ready grouping is direct-to-object backup. Yeah. What, what What's that going to get us? I mean, I, I know what, what that means and what those words are. It's pretty straightforward, but talk about what that means for customers. Yeah, so we most definitely support object storage today within Veeam. However, we didn't support it as the initial landing spot or repository, if you will, for the Veeam Backup Replication Server. So we could make a copy of the backup data to on-premises object storage or, or certainly to one of the hyperscaler cloud providers. But what we're going to do in version 12 is we'd like to say we're, we're treating an object as a first-class citizen. So you can go direct to object to your point. I think about that at two ends of the spectrum. If you think about the, the branch office, maybe now you don't want to have any local storage there. You want to just be able to back up that branch or back up that storefront and send it directly to a cloud without having to have inter intermediary disk or anything really much of, of infrastructure at all other than a server to run on. The other end of the spectrum, you might be a very large chip manufacturer that's deployed with Veeam, and you like object storage because from a namespace perspective, it just is very, very easy to manage. Well, great. We can help that on both ends of the spectrum. So sticking in that uh, that theme of cloud, Dave, what do you, what's another feature in that theme of cloud that, you, uh, that you're excited about? Well, we've got a... You know, behind the scenes thing that I think is really powerful, which is a health check on object storage, you know, so that 
we can do some under the covers validation of the data format itself. That that's something that Beam has kind of quietly done underneath the covers in the product for some time anyway, but we've extended that or added to that as it relates to object storage. So there's that aspect. The other one that comes to mind though is just the fluidity of what Beam can do, meaning if we think about cloud and, and really kind of a cross-cloud, multi-cloud world, being able to make data fluid, whether it originates on-premises, goes to hyperscaler number one, then to hyperscaler number two, then back on-prem. There are valid reasons to repatriate data back on-prem. Uh, we just did a, a cloud protection trends research project, 1,700 industry uh, anonymous uh, survey. It wasn't Beam customers. No one knew Beam was asking it. And believe it or not, 88% surveyed said they moved at least one workload in the last year back on-premises. So if I had to net that out, I would say just that multi-cloud, hybrid cloud mobility and Beam inherently already supports that even prior to version 12, but we're extending that. You know, I'm honestly not surprised at that number. I think when I think back to, you know, four or five years ago when people were public cloud first kind of strategy started popping up and it, I'm, I was kind of shaking my head a little bit. I think the new reality is that it's hybrid cloud first world and it's the reality of, I think, what we're going to be seeing for a long time because there, there's just going to be a lot of workloads that aren't going to be appropriate in the cloud. And then there's a lot that are. So it's I think we're going to continue to see that. Dave, let me stick with you and let's talk, given your focus of enterprise, what are some of the enterprise-themed features that you are excited about? Yeah, there are a lot of interesting things. That, again, some of these are a little bit underneath the covers, um, you know, but we can do things like, you know, have fully redundant deployments from servers, proxies, repositories. We can, you know, simplify our management plane now, extending that out from virtual where we started, physical where we've been for quite some time, cloud where we've also been, but into Kubernetes as well. So to your point, Calvin, you know, right delivery model for right time. So that's true of the workloads we're protecting, physical, virtual, cloud, Kubernetes, Another kind of interesting thing, though, that I, I kind of go to my grave, Rick knows this, I'll be like probably the last physical tape apologist. You know, we talked about how not everything should be in the cloud. There's valid reasons to be on-prem. Well, there's valid reasons to continue to pursue tape. And Veeam has natively pursued tape, and we write the tape from LTO, I believe it's LTO 2 and above. If I'm mistaken, it's LTO 3 and above. But you get the idea that Veeam has been supporting LTO directly for a long time. Well, in addition to what we've been doing, we're now adding for enterprise customers NAS directly to tape. Our enhanced NAS capability where we can do change file tracking, we delivered that a few years ago. But enterprise customers say, well, we want a low-cost, energy-efficient, from a sustainability perspective, you know, car carbon-neutral way to have a copy of this data on our, our very, very large NAS system. So direct to tape on that from NAS, being able to extend on the other end of the spectrum for customers utilizing our continuous data protection of vSphere environments. We're going to be able now to reduce the communications requirements, you know, be able to now run CDP and journal changes without having the same link requirements that we did in the past. And I'll actually 
a shout out to what Rick mentioned earlier. I'll mention another enterprise enhancement is being store once, you know, being able to leverage catalyst immutability on store once. And, and if I had to end with another one, you know, I would really be around the parallel processing enhancements, the performance capabilities that we can leverage and deliver on Apollo systems. So Apollo, as you know, probably better than, than even we do, you know, that is a Ferrari kind of system. It's a very attractive system from an enterprise perspective, from a Veeam thought process, because you can deploy our, our many of our components onto that, and you've got great rack and stack capability that's very, very dense, but also highly performant. Well, I like to think of version 12. We're going to add a little more octane to a Veeam Apollo a hybrid kind of deployment model where we're going to make it go even faster. You know, that's come a long way. I think back to uh, being at Veeamon uh, probably probably like four years ago, maybe five years ago now. And I remember like organizing a discussion with Patrick Osborne from HPE. I remember Tim Smith being in the room and him raising his hand and saying, hey, how come you guys don't support Veeam running on Apollo? And, you know, kind of funny enough, the reason back then was because Apollo sat in the computer group and uh, in the server organization and, you know, storage was managing everything that was going on. So a lot of what we did was just focused on store once. This is a great story with what, with Apollo. And I don't know which one of you guys want to talk to this, but uh, maybe you, Rick, I'm thinking about that. Is that, you know, thinking back to what happened with Veeam 11 and kind of that performance tweaking that um, Federico did on the HPE team to just make these things scream. I haven't seen anything, haven't talked to him about what's going to be the performance of V12, but I mean, V11 was just like unbelievable fast. Yeah. And a uh, couple things, uh, I consulted with the records in uh, David's LTO three and higher. So I double checked that. Really? So pr- pretty broad support, no doubt, you know, for where we are today, but you know, Calvin, that, that performance, that tweak, I mean, there's, there's two really important lessons there. One is that we can push the limits of what, a software-defined backup solution can be to really meet any requirement, right? And, you know, you can basically get to a point of no software bottleneck. And, you know, there are some environments that need that. And it's not just on backup, but it's on recovery. But I also spoke to a lot of organizations who go into kind of an analytics use case, right? So again, you need some performant targets and things like that. So I'm so happy to see that come through with V11 and, and Federico's work has been um, truly outstanding. Um, I, I use his stuff all the time. I, I pull out a couple of the, the hero slides when I'm talking to customers because, you know, it comes up. HPE on Apollo comes up and I show this and then, you know, the eyes kind of click in and the, the, the fit is found. Right. So what we'll see, though, in what we're doing in the next release is building on that. And then you're also going to see like some okay, buzzword disclosure, things like day two operations where we'll just make it easier for the ongoing use of our product to move things around or, you know, reprioritize and at face value. That sounds kind of not that interesting, but it actually solves a huge problem. Example you know, things change tiers, you know, things get promoted from tier two to tier one or tier one to tier two. And that kind of has implications on, you know, your downstream backup storage, right? And you don't want the wrong thing in the wrong tier for either reason, either direction, right? So just making 
the ability, we don't have a, like a marketing name for it, but we were calling it Veeam Mover, which by the way, I've introduced myself as Rick Veeam Mover for years sometimes. I've messed up my own name. Glad to see it made it to a code name. But anyways, um, moving things around, right, just transparently and easily will just be those little things that can make a big difference coupled with these high-performance deployments. It's kind of the, the place to be, if you ask me. And that rhymes, Calvin. <laughs> well, it does. And uh, I, I actually am surprised. I've never heard that nickname of using. You know, I mean, I've always just Ricketron, and that's all no, I've ever well, heard. Ricketron's so. the preferred. It's more of an error. Like I messed up. Like I'm <laughs> like I'm under time crunch, and I'll be like, "Hi, I'm Rick from Beam. Rick Vanover from Beam. Rick, Rick Beam over." It just kind of <laughs> fell out, you know. <laughs> Hey, one other like HPE topic that I, I don't want to miss just at least mentioning it. And I'll give you guys the opportunity if you want to say something is, you know, clearly HPE is marching down this path to everything as a service. And we've had HPE GreenLake with Veeam for a while. And in fact, they did a podcast when, at Veeam on with, uh, with um, somebody from uh, the HPE side talking about that. That's podcast number 29. But what's, what is, what are you guys seeing with regards to GreenLake and Veeam? Yeah, actually, gosh, I think now it was 2020 that I did a, a joint webinar with HPE. We had a customer on as well as a hospital that was deploying the solution that we were, you know, Veeam via GreenLake jointly delivering. And I think there's definitely a portion of the market and definitely certain workloads we're consuming something as a service, you know, not having to rack and stack, not having to manage it. You know, I just want to be able to get the the outcome is very appropriate. Now that said, I don't think all data centers are going away rapidly. So you you need both. I think that's the power though of a very broad portfolio provider like HPE. You can go end to end and be able to deliver you know, best of breed capabilities for people that need on-prem infrastructure, as well as people that are looking for how to consume this as a storage model or as a service model and be able to bridge people along the way, right? Because not everyone, of course, is going to be starting from scratch. They're going to have legacy gear. They're going to have to be able to transition. So then being able to offer those kinds of skills and assistance I think puts HPE in a, a very unique position to be able to respond to the market. Yeah, and even for those people who are getting, you know, away from their own data center, the really cool thing with HPE GreenLake is it, there's a lot of colo partners that we have. And I did a podcast on that I don't know, earlier this year, and I was shocked to hear that we have never seen a colo deal with GreenLake that costs more than somebody going to a pure public cloud. So there's co-load relationships there too for people that are getting away from on-premises. All right, well, last thing, guys. Uh, I can't escape this podcast without bringing this up. Vimon, uh, I already know where it is, and I am so excited because it was my favorite Vimon that I've ever been to because of the location. Where's Vimon going to be, and what's the time frame? Maybe not too early to be making plans, so... Why don't we tell people about when and where? Well, it's plenty right on time to be making plans. So good time that you brought this up. So I spent two days this week, Calvin, with the uh, Vmon event team already sharpshooting our content strategy for the event. 
Uh, it's going to be in Miami, Florida at the Fountain Blue, which uh, sounds like, you know, if you have been to that one, great. And the, yesterday, actually, we launched the new website. So by the time this goes out, the audience can go to it. But vmon.com. You can see uh, the registration 22nd through 24th in Miami. Um, we're going to have some additional experiences. I don't want to say different. I want to say additional experiences, right? So we're going to add some stuff. We're going to um, keep the stuff that works. Uh, I got some tricks up my sleeve, not going to lie. I have this, I don't want to call it fancy errand, um, fortunate burden, responsibility, privilege. That's the word. I have this privilege, Calvin, of being the on the team that's basically the content architects for the, you know, really that technical spirit of the, of the experience, right? The, the real takeaway. I mean, the parties are fun. The lunch was good, but how am I going to take some good information back home? And that's one of my favorite things that I get to work on, but uh, it's going to be in Miami, the fountain blue, and you can, the early bird pricing or whatever it is, is online now. And there will be a virtual experience, but I'll, you're the only one that's going to know this Calvin at this time, but I'll tell you we're we're putting more emphasis on the in-person experience to drive the value of that. And there still will be a virtual experience, but you know, you get, you're going to get a lot more for those who go. I know we were forced into this virtual experience uh, because of uh, COVID. I, I don't know about you guys, but I, I got virtual experienced out towards the end of that. And I actually just kind of completely stopped going to virtual events because it's just not the same as being face to face and being able to have the discussions that really can only happen in person that you can't get at a virtual event. I think all of us did the best we could when we were in a remote only kind of a situation, but it's suboptimal to your point, Calvin, right? It's, it's different if you're spending 10, 12 hours a day kind of immersed, right? You know, and that's the word I would use is, is immersion, right? Because you are socializing with peers, you're making new relationships, you're strengthening existing relationships. And there's no sort of substitute for that chance conversation down the hallway or at, you know, at mealtime that it's just not possible to do via instant message, assuming you already know that other individual. We learned that there needs to be a hybrid option. Okay. That's just the reality. So not everybody, you know, quite frankly, not all the travel budgets are back for, especially parts of our audience, the, uh, you know, the end users and the like. I can the confirm other... that for me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So like it needs to be there out of necessity. And then the other side of it is why would we not have that? Right. And we would, you know, get into the place of some audiences are, you know, if they're early on with Veeam, I'll be honest with you, Veeam might be a lot to take in or if they're still a prospect or like, let me give you an example, Calvin, a lot of the big technology brands like Veeam and others, and probably HPE, they have like a corporate kickoff type of thing. That would be a horrible first day on the job. And so Veeam on is like your first intro. It might be a lot to take in, in person, but at your own pace for the virtual experience, that's a consumption model we want to explore, right? So uh, we, we definitely need to have both, but I, I would say last year from a content experience, from my point of view, what I worked on with the breakout content, I had a kind of a mission that I called content parity or experience parity. Um, I have a little bit more flexibility this year, right? And so um, I think 
you know, you're going to get definitely the networking social elements that go with the in-person part, but we're actually going to have some exclusive on-site, sorry, some exclusive on-site experiences. Well, guys, I really appreciate you joining me. This is, uh, as always, it's always great to catch up with both you guys. And um, gosh, I hope we don't have to wait until May for uh, to see each other again, but that might be it. Uh, May at Vimon in Miami. Again, thanks for joining me and uh, can't wait to catch up with you guys sometime soon. Yeah, likewise, Calvin. Thanks for having us. Indeed. You can subscribe to the podcast on Spotify, Apple iTunes, Google, Amazon Music, Audible, Podcast Addict, and many other podcast subscription services. We've also just got a new home on HPE.com. You can find the podcast on HPE.com slash DMN slash ATITB. Love hearing from you on Twitter, where you can find me as Calvin Zito. You can find our blogs at community.hpe.com. Until next time, thanks for joining me.